Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. Morning. So I'm not quite sure who's um, more nervous right now. Me standing up here doing this for the first time ever, or Todd sat there watching me stand up here doing this for the first time ever. So, but we've got plenty of medics in the room, so he's going to be just fine. Okay. So today I want to show, uh, share my story or a part of my story on how I became or why I became a Christian. However you want to take it, that's fine. Um, and how God has been the shepherd in my life. So I'm going to take you back to um, just my childhood, back, give you a bit of background, just to, just to have a bit of understanding on who I am and where I'm from and those kind of bits. So I think we've got some pictures, which is always the fun part, <laughs> sharing the pictures somewhere in the background. So growing up, so I'm originally Scottish. So for those of you who don't know that, that's where I was born. I was born in a little... Oh, here we go. So I was born in a little um, village called Blantyre in Scotland, just outside of Glasgow. And I was like a daddy's girl, like the daddy's girl. And this is me and my dad. Bless. He was called Robert. <clears throat> and um, I think we've got another picture. And I've, yeah, here we go. So my brother's in here somewhere, so I do apologise, Dean, but that's you. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so this is me and my siblings. And this is when we were in Blackpool. So I was 11 years old um, on this picture. So yeah, so I was um, a real daddy's girl growing up. And my parents uh, split up when I was about eight years old. And um, my mum met somebody else. She had another child. She moved to Sheffield. And me and uh, my siblings stayed with my dad. Now, we were quite poor growing up. We didn't have much um, at all. We lived in a quite a deprived area of Scotland. It was quite, um, well, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much the same right now, like 27 years later from when I left, because when we went last went up, we still got paint on the walls that was there when I was 12, and it was like, oh. So, um, yes, so growing up, it was, it was, it was tough. Parents splitting up, and um, but we were loved. We had no money, we had nothing, but we had love, and that was that was that was a blessing that you don't realise as a child, but as an adult, you kind of get. So, as you can see on that picture, we used to take trips to Scotland, and that was our place to go. My dad would borrow my uncle's car, he would borrow money and we would be off and have, have regular trips to Scotland. And when I was 12, we were due to go on holiday and um, we were preparing, we were preparing for this trip, preparing to go up, we went and borrowed my uncle's car and on this particular night, things just didn't feel quite right. It didn't feel the same, Thing, something was not right and in the gut of my gut, I knew something just wasn't quite right. I didn't know what. So <clears throat> this particular night, um, my dad, he had got, he suffered with angina, he had had heart problems. And 
I, I went everywhere with my dad, just to give you a bit of contact, context. When people seen us in the street, we were called um, the gang. And that's not because we wore bandanas and were notorious and, you know, <laughs> leading and things like that. But we were tight, we were together and everywhere. So I knew something wasn't right. So I slept on the sofa this particular night because I didn't want to leave, leave my dad. So 3 a.m. I woke up and my dad was in the kitchen and he was sat uh, on the floor with his back against the washing machine and he was struggling he was struggling in pain he was struggling to breathe he was he was just struggling and he um he looked through me he looked at me in a way that like you'll never forget he just looked straight through me and then he fell to the side and then that was it that was like carnage. I run upstairs, I walk my older brother up, and then I'm sure you can imagine what happened next. Ambulance and CPR and machines and um, I, was, I was 12 and I was, uh, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm known to be quite a feisty person. I've got, I've got a stubborn personality and even at 12 they couldn't move me out of that room because I didn't want to leave my dad. Um, and that night my dad passed away and um, right in front of my eyes and that was yeah that was that was the end of life as I knew it then so my mum lived in Sheffield and we us as a family moved to Sheffield with my mum and that was quite a experience moving to Sheffield 12 year old with a strong Glaswegian accent um, I can remember one occasion I went into a shop for a pair of tights um, and I went in and said to the shopkeeper um, can you show me where the tights are and she went huh? can you show me where the tights are she's like what <laughs> and like took quite a while and I was like still like tights and she's like oh tights I went that's what I said I just wanted to have tights so going to school um, you know, having, a, having an accent, you kind of, you stand out a bit like soft thumb. And everybody's like, say this, say that, say this. And you're like, oh, okay, I will. Um, but what was hard was my mum, she suffered with mental health um, and alcoholism. Now, people, you know, we say mental health and alcoholism. It's two very separate things. Uh, mental health is mental health <laughs> and being an alcoholic is being an alcoholic and quite often the two do come hand in hand people will ha drink alcohol or take substances to try and mask the mental health that they're going through they'll try and mask how they're feeling what they're experiencing um, and numb things and unfortunately, my mum was really bound quite heavily with mental health. Now, just before I share any stories, I am not, um, I'm not dishonouring my mum in any way because she was, she was, she was sick. But a 12-year-old moving to a new city and completely just being flawed, like your life flipped upside down, uh, living with, with a mum who, who we didn't really have a relationship with, and was an alcoholic and was really significant with mental health um, was, was difficult. Um, there would be times where she would attempt suicide and myself and my brother would have to intervene. Um, 
and, you know, keep her alive until the ambulance got there and use water to kind of like, it was quite dramatic stuff. There were times where she would turn up to my school um, uh, parents' evening and she'd be drunk and I'd be like, oh, um, and um, the, the times where she would say, "I'm just going to the, I'm just going to go to the shop. Um, I'm going to the phone box. I'm, I'm just going to the phone box because because back then the, I, I am at an age where um, I remember phone boxes. We all didn't have mobile phones. We all didn't have house phones. So phone boxes was really a thing on, when when I was growing up. So my mum would say, "I'm going to the phone box." I'm just going to phone such and such. Tea's in the grill. We're having chicken fingers and there's beans and whatever. Um, and we, she, she just won't come back. And I'm at home with my brothers and sisters and I'm like, ah, oh, chicken fingers, <laughs> they're going darker and beans are going stickier and oh, I don't know what to do. And, uh, and that kind of installed a... Um, a fear in me. I mean, that, I think I, came, I became fear, scared of the dark because there would be times when it was getting dark outside and my mum went back and I'd be like, where is she? What, what's, what's going on? So that was really, really quite difficult to, 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 to go through at 12 years old. And as you, you know, are aware, we, we had services involved and we had different things happening. My mum ended up being sectioned and she spent the majority of the rest of her life really in mental health hospitals or like rehabilitation hospitals like nursing homes for people with mental health or alcohol um, issues. And when I was 14, I left school because um, I was determined to not let um, our family split up. I was like, nobody is taking anybody else away from me. That's it, no chance. My family are staying together, and anybody wants to get in my path, come on ahead. <laughs> and that was my attitude. It was just not going to happen. So at 14, me and my older brother, we kind of lived, it's kind of weird to listen to it from like outside, but we kind of lived a married life but without being married. So he would get up and go to work, and I would get up and get the kids up from, for um, school, and I'd be like, come on, we've got to get dressed, and blah, blah, blah and everything else, and then we would toddle off to school. And um, I'm, I will say, this to be, you know, services really did try and keep me in school. But at 14 year old, and I had the choice, am I gonna go to school? Am I not gonna go to school? I chose not to go to school. Um, and back in the day, we had, my mum had, um, some of the older people in the room that are very nice and lovely may remember family allowance books. They were like a booklet. And on the back, you could sign, like, you know, you signed it and somebody else could cash that for you. So I would go to the shop, the post office, with my little book and cash it in and then do the shopping and then toddle back home with the shopping bags and then go and pick the um, brothers and sisters up from school and come back. And that's, that's, that's the way our life was. That's how we lived. That's, that's, how, we, that's how we were functioned. And, and we grew up and... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I did a fantastic job, but they're all still alive. <laughs> so that's got to say something. Um, and I then became, I then became 
like my mum's mum, if that made sense. <laughs> that, that, that's the weirdest possible thing that you can hear yourself say, but I was like my mum's mum. And um, yes, so she sadly passed away seven years ago. She had, she had a horrific life. She had trauma. She had so much going on in her life, and she got breast cancer. She had um, secondary breast cancer, and sadly she passed away. And I hit my teenage years, 17, 18. I wasn't much... I did notice from the pictures I haven't grown much from being 12-year-old. <laughs> um, still quite short. But, um, yeah, so I hit my um, teenage years and, um, well, what can I say? That was, um, that was interesting. <laughs> I um, kind of was like... Probably the lost anybody could ever be. Like, if there's a def definition of lost, that's where I was. I was, um, I got so much going on. I was partying, I was, you know, relationships. I was in every, in fact, it's probably easier to say the things I wasn't involved in rather than the things I was involved in. So, I mean, there's little ears in the room, so we have to be mindful of that. But um, I was really, really struggling. And... I used to say to people sometimes, you know, I'm surrounded by lots of people. I've got siblings coming out of my ears and I've got friends, but I felt so lonely. I would be in a room full of people, but in here, I felt so lost, so something was missing. Um, and then along that way, um, I met my now husband, um, who isn't a Christian. I met him and we got married. And I must say that he's really, he's a really, he's really supportive. He's really supportive of my faith and, that, and I'm really blessed by that. So where did God, where did God enter my story? Okay, so I was working, I was partying, I was doing everything that you can never possibly imagine. Um, I had anxiety like you would not believe. Um, and in fact, I probably could do, and Lauren will confirm this, I could probably do a, like a whole three sections on the anxiety of my life and how I've dealt with that and things like in that way. But yes, so that, that, here I am in my early adulthood trying to learn how to live. With a mum in hospital, being, being her mum, trying to be... Um, a sibling, but mum figure to my, my brothers and sisters who were growing up and starting to live their own lives. And growing up, I always knew there was something. So we had an experience of church when we were younger. When I was younger, when I was about five, I think my parents started going to a church, but it was a really religious church. Has anybody ever had experiences of really religious churches where it's like, hellfire, 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 and they're practically throwing this at you to, you know, like, um, and um, I was really strict, like, you had to have, wear certain things to be in the building and things like that, and when my parents separated, we kind of got cast out from church, so that was, like, frowned upon, and, you know, we pushed aside, and that's that, but the experience that I had growing up of church was quite a... a like a scary one. I can remember at five years old, um, we, we used to um, have to sit at a certain time and read 
like my dad would read scriptures and he had a Bible that was like huge. I don't, I don't even know. It was like someone out of like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or something. It was like massive. Um, and we would sit and he would read and I can remember at five. So just, just I want you to just think about, and I'm not dishonoring, disclaimer, I am not dishonoring God in any way. I'm, I'm telling you my experience as a five-year-old, right? So I think Lauren and Todd's youngest son is nearly five. If anybody doesn't have an idea of what five-year-olds are, that, just watch Nate when he's running about later. So my dad um, was, was, was talking to us, reading scripture as he would normally would do, and he would say to us, um, right, you've got to ask Jesus into your heart to be saved. And, you know, like I'm getting conflicting parenting here because at five-year-old, this is about the stage where you're teaching your children to not speak to strangers, don't take anything off of, you know, like they, we had adverts on the television, don't talk to strangers in the park, don't go, into, don't go to a car, don't accept sweets. If you, you only go with people you trust and, you know, getting all this parenting information. And then all of a sudden he's like, wow, you've got to ask this, this Jesus into your heart to be saved. And I'm like... Who's Jesus? Like, what? <laughs> you can't see this person and you're like, oh my gosh. And that was quite a scary concept at five years old to, um, to, to, to be thinking of. And yeah, so my experience of church was quite heavy. And when my parents separated, we got, we got put to side. So in my early adulthood, I knew somewhere I, I knew about God and I knew I knew something was right but I didn't quite know who it was what it was or what was the truth I had got friends who were Muslim I got an auntie who's Jehovah's Witness I've got lots of different people with different um faith experiences and I just didn't know who which is which is true and then in 2012 the doomsday feared that it came around where the world was going to end and it was all a bit like dramatic and you know every, everybody was talking about this end of world date and I was like oh, what if just what if what if I've not made a decision on what I want to do and who I want to follow and what's right and who's right and the world ends oh wow what's what's that going to look like so I can remember just crying out to the Lord. Well, I didn't know I was crying out to the Lord. That's, I'm lying to you there. I can remember just being at work and being like, right, okay. Whoever's real, if it's God, if it's Jehovah, if it's Allah, if it's whatever is real, whoever is real, show me. Show me who is real. Show me what is true. Show me where I should be and what I should be following. And I'll do it. And I was at work, and I kind of had this, like, internal cry out, and in my head, just being like, all right then, if you're real, show me who you are. And then I got a new job, and this job was linked to um, a church, um, and it, the, the, the offices was inside the church building. And I can remember walking through, walking through the, um, the foyer one day, and I just was like stopped in my tracks. And it was almost like a light bulb moment where I was, and this is going on a few months after, and I was reminded like, can you remember the question you asked me? What is true and where you should be? Well, this is, where, this is it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, and that was something that happened in here. So I, 
I, I reached out and was like, show me what's true. And then I had, months later, been, been taken to this job that was part of a church, a Christian church, and I felt like God said to me, this is where you should be. This is who I am. So I thought, I can't argue with that, can I? So that was it. I thought, right, that's, this is my moment. I am now got to find a way how to tell my husband and family that I'm now going to go to church. That's another story as well. But it went well. I'm in church, so that's good. So going to church, you know, it's, it's like a, well, for me, it was like a momentum thing. Um, I, was, I was like a couch potato Christian when I was at that church. I went to church when I could be bothered. I was drinking. I was partying. I would, I would wake up in the morning and be like, oh, man, I'm too hungover today. Oh, no. And my husband would be like, are you going to church? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Um, and then there's days where I'd be sat in church and I'd be like, mm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I shouldn't have come here today. Um, and that was, that, was, that was my experience. So it was, it was good. The church I went to at that time had about eight people in it. And I was the youngest. And then the next youngest was about 60. And then it went on to, to there. Uh, and that's no, like, you know, nothing against anybody who's 60 plus. That was just that church that I went to. So I, I, I job. Our job, my job, um, changed slightly. We moved to different offices. We moved in a different area. Uh, and I met different people. And I met a, a friend, a lady who came to this church, Antioch. And she overheard me talking to uh, another friend in, about church and saying, ah, have you ever felt where you're just like, yeah, it's good, but I feel like there's something more. Um, and she's like, she heard this conversation. And she says, well, actually... I'm like, oh, and she's like, I, I go to a church and it's quite, it's full of young people and it's nice and do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, what church is it? So she, she talk, told me about Antioch and I sat in the car on lunchtimes Googling Antioch thinking what, what type of church is this and who goes and I think I listened to some podcasts and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't seem too weird, I might give it a try. So it took a few occasions and she actually had to Finally, she had to pick me up to get me here. So she picked me up um, and she brought me to Antioch. Uh, and I walked in and it was very lovely. And I thought, it's so warehouse. <laughs> I thought we were coming to church. And then people would start talking. I'm like, they're American. <gasps> what? I thought we were coming to church. Um, and then, uh, you know, everybody was like nice and polite. And then worship started and I'm like, the weirdos. <laughs> oh my gosh, where she fetched me. You know, everybody's like, hey, and oh, and oh, and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, where's the exits? I'm marking the exits out quite clearly. Um, and then worship ended and I was still alive and I felt very blessed by that because I was convinced I was in a cult. And I was like, whoa. And honestly, my first conversation with Todd was asking him about a cult, just to be clarify that I'm in a safe space here. I I'm actually okay. And he was really, really nice. And he explained very clearly that a cult is about focusing on a person and their beliefs and following that person. And I felt at that moment, that's okay, because my husband struggles to get me to follow him, so I'm not going to follow anybody under duress, so I'm all right there. But um, 
then I went. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh dear, I'm digressing. But anyway, so yes, yeah, so we had this conversation, and Todd really did explain the difference on this serious note. Because honestly, when you when you come to a church who worship like this, it is scary. People get a bit worried, a bit freaked out. And he explained that this church's focus and vision is on God. It's on the Word of God. It's on Jesus and who He is. And that was and that felt good. And the service that I came to was a testimony from the then children's pastors, TJ and Carissa Luttrell, who were sharing their testimony. And I'd never been in that setting before where somebody was telling about their story. And I was like, I think I just sat with my jaw, jaw open and I cried because their, their story was far away from what I thought a Christian story should be. And they shared, and I was like, well, if God has done that in their life, maybe he could do it in my life. And it was like connecting with real people. Like these people are normal. Well, at that point, at that point, I didn't think they were normal. But these people are talking about their normal lives, their normal struggles, their normal, you know, the, the, the stuff that we never tell people. And they sat on stage telling their story. And I was like, okay, right, this is, this is okay. And then worship started again. And yeah, but anyway, I, I came back because what I was thinking in my head was what different to what I was feeling in my heart. And I don't know if anybody's ever felt that, whether your head tells you one thing, heart tells you another. So I came back, and then they've never got rid of me. So that's their bad. <laughs> but coming to church didn't change my life. Making the decision to walk with Jesus didn't change my life overnight. I didn't suddenly wake up and start floating about on a, on a fluffy cloud. I really struggled. I still struggled with anxiety debilitating anxiety, irrational fears. I struggled with alcohol. I wasn't an alcoholic, I was not, but I had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I drank if it was Friday night, just because it was Friday night. I drank because it was sunny outside. I drank because I had a bad day at work and I was, I was feeling stressed. I drank because we had a good day at work and it was all great. I drank because I was in a pub. I Everything was like drink, drink, drink. And that's, that was my focus. I was going to drink to mask my emotions, to mask my feelings, to mask my anxiety, and to mask my past and the, the things that I'd faced. And then, you know, the difference is becoming a Christian, things haven't you know, like bad things and struggles still happen. But the difference is I have God to go to to help me with those bad things and those struggles. And one of the, the hardest things I have ever had to deal with ever happened as I was a Christian. Me and my husband um, have been trying for, a, was trying for a baby for 15 years. And last year we um, were well, we were told that that's very probably, well, we were told it was never going to happen. And I, I couldn't, I can't, I can't explain the, the pain that you feel in your heart as a woman and in your soul thinking that nobody will ever call you mum, that you will never hear those words. And, you know, those times... Those times, 
I didn't have anything other than, than God, than Jesus. I never had anything. I could have, I could have gone to alcohol, and I'm, I'm, I'm conscious I'm running out of time, but how God transformed my, transformed my life from drinking alcohol into relying on alcohol to actually relying on him and turning to him, that transformation happened over a long time. It didn't happen overnight. I had to put that effort in. I had to put that dedication in because I needed to want to, to change that. But with the baby situation, um, there were times where I literally went to bed crying and just holding the Bible and just saying, Jesus, why? Why? Look, I look over my life and I'm like, have I not had enough heartache? What? Why? And the why questions are always the worst questions. Always. So instead, I, I let it go. And I said, Jesus, I can't deal with this, but you can. And I had to trust and stand on my faith that knowing that God could deal with that, the times when I feel and I couldn't. So <clears throat> as I look over my life, as I look back over my life, and I've shared today a few snippets of areas, um, and as I look back over my life, I, see, I have seen how God has carried me. I have seen where God has been my good shepherd. And, and there's a verse in Isaiah, I think we've got it, Isaiah 40, 11. It says, He will feed his flocks like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. Now, somebody shared that verse with me a long time ago, and that was what I was holding on to. I was holding on to that God was carrying me in his arms. He was carrying me through the pain of my past and my present, because pain still comes. Pain still comes, but Jesus can take it away. So if we just go back to the, the, the verse that Oswaldo shared with us in Luke 15, eight, 1 to 7, where Jesus, Jesus was sat with tax collectors and other notorious sinners who often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. How often do we, you know, associate with sinful people? We all are, you know, we all do it. We all are. There's no one person or other person because we're all the same. We're all the same. We either know Jesus or we don't know Jesus or have a relationship with Jesus and don't have a relationship with Jesus, but we're all the same. So it goes on to say, um, even eating with them. So Jesus ate. Jesus ate with people who, like me, people who were, you know, lost sinful, living the life that a lot of you would be like, what? She did what? So <clears throat> Jesus told him the story. So Jesus spoke in stories. So people who don't know the Bible, people, Jesus spoke a lot in sharing stories on, on how for people to understand. And he said, um, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for that the one that is lost and he, until he finds it. 
And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who, over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I mean, for me, that's a quite a powerful verse because God... When I didn't know it, at 12 years old, was shepherding me without me realizing it. He was there. And when I look back over my life, I see where he's done it time and time and time again. This is who God has been for me. He has picked me up at my lowest of lows and not just with what I've shared today and lots of other areas. He has picked me up. He has carried me in his arms. He has heard my cries when I've cried out. Sometimes that's all it needs. All you need to say is Jesus. That is all you need. And you know, that's who he can be for you. That's who he wants to be for you. He wants to be that shepherd for all of us. Now, I don't know where you are all at today. Everybody in this room, anybody listening online, we all have our own stories. We all have our own stuff. We all have our own struggles. You know, some of you might be facing worse battles of mental health, alcohol misuse, substance misuse, the, the pain of not being able to have a child. There is so much that we deal with, that we keep in here, that we don't share, that we don't reach out. But I just want you to know today, wherever you are at, God sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your struggles. He sees your anxiety. He sees your craziness when you're having a flip out because something's kicked off, you know, because none of us are perfect. Nobody is perfect. And if anybody tells you they're perfect, they're lying to you because that is just not true. But <clears throat> just as God has worked as a shepherd in my life, he can and he wants to work as a shepherd in your life, whether you know him, whether you have a relationship with him or whether you don't. He wants to guide you. He wants to scoop you up and take away your pain. But you've got to let him. You have got to have a heart that, want, that allows him. You have got to say, go on then, do it. But I warn you, if you ask him, he will turn up. He will become knocking. But are you willing to open the door? See, God's not a pushy God. He's not, he's not a, a, a ram it down your throat like the religious people that, that first church I want to. He's not going to throw Bibles at you. But he will come knocking. But all you have to do is open the door. So I'm just conscious of time and Todd getting redder. Blood pressure. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So what I wanted to do today is because 
I'm just so very conscious, you know, we all spend a lot of time with people, we spend a lot of time with each other, and we, we've all got our struggles. They all look different to each person. Everybody's got something different going on today in this room or online. And I just would like to take some time to pause for us to just some, have some time to, to ask Jesus, to ask God, if there's anywhere in your heart today that he wants to, to meet with you. Is there any area of pain where he wants to, to address or whatever he wants to do. Now, that can look different for different people, and it can be scary, and it can feel awkward. You know, we're sat here, we're, we're looking at us, and we're looking at you and everything else. But I just really want you to encourage. I just want to encourage. I seriously sense that there's some people in this room today, in their hearts right now, are struggling to hold it together. They feel like they're breaking, and they just don't know where, where they're going to turn to next. So I just want to give us some time to pause, to ask God to speak to us. And I encourage you to just listen to the first thing that comes into your mind. The first thought, the first, it might be a memory. It might be, it might be something that you're dealing with right now. It might be something that you thought you'd dealt with. So as we just, just pause, we just, Father, we just ask, we just ask, Lord, that you come right now and minister to our hearts, Father. Jesus, we pray that you speak to, to all of us online, in this room. Meet with us, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. I just encourage you that if you've heard anything or anything's coming to your mind as, as we move into worship, I just really encourage you that you allow it to allow God to talk more to you. Let yourself be let yourself be open. Be daring. You know, you're in you're you're in the presence of God. This is a safe place. You're in your own mind right now. So if you are sensing anything, then then go with it. So we're going to finish with um, a hymn, Amazing Grace. And I mean, the words of this song, this is a, is a powerful hymn for me. And the words of this song is really, um, is really, really something to, to connect with. Um, the words are quite powerful. Um, so yes, so thank you for listening to me today and God bless you all. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.